Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to come together around your word and to worship you. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord God, that you would reveal us, Lord, as we truly are, so that we might see ourselves honestly and that we might turn to you in faith. And we pray that you would place your words in my mouth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you all today. Well, I've got a question for you all. Are brakes in a car important? Come on, everybody cares about engines though, right? Aren't those the important part? Yeah, but what do you need brakes for? Stopping, right? Uh, I've been learning this week just how important brakes are, right? Because my, my, you know, I drive this old car, this 1968 Land Cruiser, and... My brakes weren't working so hot, right? Um, so if you see a white Land Cruiser on the road, you might want to steer. I'm just joking. I fixed them. They're okay now. They're okay. They work great now. But um, they weren't working so hot, and I was really frustrated, right? Because it's good to stop when you want to, isn't it? It really is reassuring and comforting when you can hit the brakes and your car slows at a good pace, and then you don't go over the line of a stop sign or anything, right? And so... I was trying to diagnose what was wrong with my brakes, right? So I brought in the culprit here. Can anyone identify this part? Master cylinder, that's right. This is the master cylinder from brakes. This is actually from a 1975 Land Cruiser, if you're ever trying to identify them. Um, and so what it, the way this thing works, right, is you've got this part in the back. This is attached to your car. And there's a little piston that pushes in there and pushes this piston, which has... Um, your brake fluid in it, and it pushes the hydraulic fluid through these little holes, through, you know, your hoses to your brakes, and it compresses your brakes on the disc or the pad or whatever you got there. And it stops your car, which is amazingly simple, isn't it? It's beautiful. I love it. And I thought, I'm going to just fix this thing, right? How hard could it be? Seriously, they're just brakes. I mean, what happens if you get them wrong, right? So I tried to uh, refurbish them. Because it doesn't look that bad on the outside, does it? No. So I pulled out this stuff, all the guts, got new guts to go inside of it, polished up the inside with this honing stone and everything. It was looking pretty good. There was a little imperfection there, but I thought it would be all right. Put it all back together, put it back on the car, solicited the help of my family again. Um, you know, I had to, that took a lot of, um, I, they worked hard to help me get these brakes working. So thank God for my family. And do you know what happened when we started bleeding the brakes? Nothing. Nothing. It didn't work. It didn't work. All that work, all that effort, all that time trying to get these brakes to work, and they still wouldn't work. You know what the problem was? No. Just, ah, I'm not that bad. I might be bad at this. I'm not that bad. The problem was that little imperfection I saw inside that, the brakes master cylinder. That little bit that had been eroded away by rust over time, that gap there allowed when the seal went over it, it let fluid and air along the side of it, and so it never would seal properly. That little bit made it so this brake master cylinder 
was beyond repair and would never work as it was designed to work. Now, it's okay, I replaced it with a new one, and my car is stopping, so if you see me, you do not need to pull off into a parking lot and get away from me. It stops great now. But the problem was with this, this part, it couldn't just be repaired, it couldn't be polished up and put back on the car and be as good as new. It had to be completely replaced. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Because he, he likes breaks, Nehemiah does. All right, so uh, Nehemiah was written around the year 433 to 424 B.C. Is that a long time ago? That was a long time ago, that's right. We don't know the exact author of Nehemiah, although parts of it are clearly written by the, the Nehemiah himself. Um, we know, though, that this book covers Nehemiah's life between the years 445 and 432 B.C. During this time, the Jews were in exile in Babylon, which had since been conquered by Persia. And Nehemiah, his job was he was a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. The book begins with Nehemiah hearing a report that some of the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed with fire. Now, Nehemiah is a Jew, right? And so, and does Jerusalem matter to the Jews? Yeah, why does it matter? It's theirs? Yeah, what was, what was in Jerusalem? The temple, what else was there? Ark of the Covenant, what else? There's all kinds of cool stuff there, and it was also the seat of their government. It was the place where everyone went. At, at the festivals in the year, it was the place where everyone went to worship God. It was the place where the king was. It was a significant place to them. Jerusalem mattered to the Jews. And so when Nehemiah heard this, that the city was in great shame and that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and its gates destroyed with fire, he sits down and he weeps and he mourns because his city has been oppressed. And he begins fasting and praying, which is what we do, right, when we are uh, in need of God's assistance, right? It's a way that we can uh, come before the Lord. We give up food, we give up uh, other aspects of our life, and we turn to him completely and seek him in prayer. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. He was asking the Lord, Lord, what can we do about this problem? He also significantly confesses the sins of his people, which is why they were in exile in the first place. And he accepts that God was righteous in exiling him. He puts himself in a proper relationship with God. He says, Lord, you are holy and I am not. Then something miraculous happens. In the course of Nehemiah serving the king his wine, the king notices that Nehemiah is sad, and he asks him what is wrong. Nehemiah explains the situation in Jerusalem, explains the problems that his beloved city is going through. And the king not only lets Nehemiah go to Jerusalem, but he gives him letters to have materials be provided for the repair of the walls and of the gates. Is that significant? Does that happen every day? No, not at all. Why would, what, why would the king of Persia want to rebuild the capital city of another nation? It's amazing. The Lord was obviously in this process, guiding Nehemiah, and giving him favor with the king. 
And so Nehemiah and his crew set out to rebuild the walls. Now Jews had begun returning from exile in the year 536 B.C., and they had already rebuilt the temple in 516 B.C. So by the time Nehemiah got there, that work had been done, but the walls were still in shambles, and the city had no defense around it, but not for long. Under the wise hand of Nehemiah, the project flourished and the walls went up, even though those who labored were under constant fear of attack. And they had to build the walls with their, store, with their sword strapped to their side or else in their hand. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is the greatest story ever, isn't it? I mean, this is like Hollywood story, right? You've got the kings, you've got Persian cats all over the place, you've got um, a city with walls and gates are destroyed, then you've got Nehemiah going there and rousing the people up and this passionate account, and, and they're fighting with, or they're, they're fighting and putting up um, stones at the same time. Isn't that, it's like Schwarzenegger movie, right? This is good stuff. It's classic, right? And Nehemiah, in less than six months, is able to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city. Do you think God might have been involved in that process? Yeah. I mean, we're still talking about the Dorsey Drive interchange, right? (laughs) And Nehemiah is able to rebuild the city with hand tools, or the walls of the city with hand tools, in less than six months from conception to completion. That's amazing stuff, isn't it? In our passage for today, we hear Ezra reading from the law of God. Now Ezra, he's a guy who's been in Jerusalem for 13 years more than than Nehemiah. He's been there, and he's a priest. He's been working on bringing the worship back to the people, right, which is a significant thing. He's wanting to reestablish the people as they are worshiping the Lord Most High. And Nehemiah now is serving as the governor of this city, having reestablished the walls and the defenses of Jerusalem, they can now focus the people back on God together. So in our passage, all the people are gathered together, and Ezra begins to read from the law of Moses and to give interpretation so that people can understand the meaning of the text. Does that sound familiar to you all? That kind of thing, reading from the scriptures and then interpreting the scriptures? Right, that's what we do here now. That's what we're doing at this moment. We're reading and interpreting so that everyone can leave understanding what went on. Nehemiah and Ezra wanted to see the people hear the word of God and understand it and see their own lives as God saw them. Now, the reaction to all this, the reaction to the reading of the law and the interpreting of the law, is that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why do you think that is? Think they were all happy? Like, I love the law. Come on. Ezra's got such a beautiful voice. No, why do you think they wept? What? For order in their lives? Yeah, they, they wept because they had no order, right? They wanted it so badly. The word of God convicted them. It spoke to their deepest seated pain and suffering. Their brokenness, the word of God, revealed that. And is that a pleasant process? No, it's not. 
That's why we have these things we call secrets, right? Because we don't like other people hearing them. The Word of God looks inside and it sees those secret places that we've walled off from everyone else. You see, Nehemiah and his group, they were building the wall to defend the city, to defend righteousness. We, we build walls for other reasons, don't we? Right? We build walls to protect ourselves from other people, to protect our hearts, to make sure no one sees what's in there. And God wants to break down those kinds of walls. And his law does that. It reveals our brokenness and his holiness. His law shows us where we fall short. God's word shows us what's truly inside of us. And here in this passage, the people realized their deep need for God and for his mercy and grace. Because of this, Ezra and Nehemiah and all the Levites tell the people to go home and to party because God has brought about a holy transformation in them. They have been set free from sin by confession to God, and the result is a restored relationship with God. And is that something to party about? Yes, it is. Okay, so this happened like 2,500 years ago, right? Loads and loads of time ago. But the truth still holds for us, doesn't it? God's word, his law, recorded in the scriptures, are a light that the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of our sins and to show us what we really are like on the inside. Now that might be painful, but it is a beautiful thing because we absolutely need it. We need to be convicted. We need to have our hearts broken because the reality is is that we're a lot like this master cylinder, aren't we? Right? We might look okay and serviceable on the outside, We put on a good face, but on the inside, each and every one of us has that imperfection in us, that brokenness, which allows us to not do what we're designed to do, which causes sin to spring up and take mastery over us in our hearts. Only God sees in us, and through his word, he allows us to see ourselves like he does. Now, this revelation leads us to a decision. Do we try to repair the old? Do we try to put just lipstick and rouge on it and call it good? Or do we accept the new? I think most of the time in our lives, we kind of try to to gussy up the old stuff, don't we? We try to put a little polish on it, put on a smile and call it good. But the reality is, it's like these breaks. They're not doing anything for me, right? It wasn't working no matter how much I wanted it to. It was not transformed, and so it could not do what I wanted it to do. Our lives as well need to not just be repaired, not just polished up, but need to be made absolutely new. That's why Jesus talks about being born again or having new birth. is because he knew we couldn't just be changed a little bit or have the bad parts kind of fixed up. We needed to be a new creation. And that's what he offers us today. Will we accept his free gift of love and mercy and grace which he bought for us on the cross? Or will we continue to live in denial, thinking that we can just make things look good enough to get by? We can make it passable. 
My hope for us is that we would accept his gift, that we would turn to him in faith, and that we would be restored and renewed. Now, this isn't something that just happens once and then the rest of our lives we forget about it. Right? Every time we encounter God's word, it convicts us. It should always point to something in our heart. And so we should always be seeking to turn over that brokenness to the Lord and accept his new life in exchange. To come more and more and deeper and deeper into relationship with him. That, he might, that we might love him as he loves us. And as we do that, may we celebrate and rejoice knowing that God has redeemed and restored that which was broken and lost. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being the offering for our sins, Lord God. Thank you for shining your light inside our hearts that we might see what is in there and that we might confess it to you and that we might be restored and saved. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to speak to us, continue to draw us to you, and to continue to make us new, Lord God. Help us to share your hope with others, that they might know what it means to be restored in you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.